Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who put the fine in fine woodworking. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 316 for June 18th, 2016. On today's show, we're talking about refinishing a tabletop, fixing a laundry rack, drying timbers. Would that be plural? Timber or timbers? Timbai. Timbai. <laughs> drying timbai. Drying De- trees. I like that. Uh, determining if an old table is veneered, cambering, jointer, plane blades, and wood movement. But before we get to all that, let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Kalo. Kalo is the functional wedding ring for your hardworking hands. Kalo silicone wedding rings are safe for your finger. And now, the new quality collection rings, made with Q2X material, are 10 times more resilient to gas, oil, and solvents, and less rigid than traditional silicone. Kalo rings are incredibly comfortable and start at just $15.99. So head to Kalo.com, that's Q-A-L-O.com, and use the discount code WOODTALK for 15% off your order. Thank you, Kalo. Halo, and thank you to a few special individuals who helped us out with supporting donations. That's David Trump, Hugh Howards, Jason Coggle, Nicholas Step, Charles, yeah, Charles Thompson. I, of course, I mess up the one that's the simplest. <laughs> Jeez, what am I? It's not that hard. Thompson. I'm out of practice here. Uh, even when I'm in practice, I suck. Uh, and Jason Jones. Thank you so much, folks, for helping us out. We appreciate it. If you want to, you can help us out, too. Just go to woodtalkshow.com, look in the side column, and you'll see some donation links. Uh, one-time donation, recurring donation, whatever. Whatever you want to do, we appreciate the support. And thank you very much for that. So, gentlemen, it's been a couple weeks. We had a two-week break. The whole road trip thing just did not pan out for me in terms of <laughs> internet connection <laughs> and getting this show on the air. So I apologize for that. The whole thing was my fault. But um, I don't know. You guys made it work for that one week. But then I'm like, forget it. Let's just take a couple weeks off. We'll, we'll come back and call it our summer break. I think this was a safer bet. Yeah, it was nice. Missed you. It was nice to take a break. But yeah, it's good to be back. I don't know. I heard some kickback saying that like the show was better without me. Because Matt, Matt, well, I mean, to Matt be fair, it was, more. but you know, <laughs> yeah, your I mean, legacy. So we have to keep you around. I figure, uh, yeah. I figure, I should have started the show by thanking you guys for letting me come on uh, <laughs> yeah. your show today. I appreciate it. Hey, you're welcome. Anytime, we'd love to have you back sometime. You guys yeah. are so courteous. Anytime you want a guest host, gracious hosts, I love it. Uh, who's going to be on next week? So yeah, so I'm back in town. I uh, got the uh, editing machine and, and the, the podcasting rig back up where it's supposed to be in the office. And now we can do our shows as per normal. And I'm super excited about it. So let's get into what's on the bench. Uh, for me right now, interesting stuff, like weird turn of events. Part of the reason we went on the road was to uh, put a few eyeballs in the Denver area because we had been for years thinking that might be a place we want to relocate. So while we were there and doing this road trip, we decided to stay there for a little while and we did kind of find a place that we like. Now, a house move and, and buying and selling and getting all that to work out. Uh, there's a lot of hurdles, as everybody knows, to jump through. So I don't know for sure that it's happening, but there is a possibility that we might be moving which is kind of a, a, a bomb to drop on people who've seen me build my dream shop and move <laughs> my shop. How many times, Matt? You're, you you were three, watching a show four. all these years. <laughs> three, three or four? Or four? <laughs> well, you went back to the other shop. Do you count that one as a shop move? If, back I, to if I had move? to pay movers to move my tools, I'm counting it, even though it was like in, <laughs> in town. It, yeah, it's been crazy. Uh, I, I don't know anybody who's moved as much as I have, but there's a possibility that we might be moving uh, again. So, so this brings so, up, well, what do you yeah, look ahead. at? Like when you go to look for a new house, do you look for a house that has like a good garage or do you look for a house that has space? Cause I imagine finding a house that actually has an outbuilding already is probably pretty limiting, especially it's, from what I know of the Denver market. So yes, it's, it's extremely limiting that <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, yeah. you can't find it. You can, you can find it, but you have to go way far out further out than we want. And part of this move, a big and probably the most substantial part is this is a move for our kids and for family. It puts us a little bit closer to Nicole's family in Missouri. So it's like a reasonable drive to get there. And it's, um, you know, a question of school systems. It's a question of giving our kids the, the childhood similar to what we had, you know, and, and it, living here was fine for Nicole and I, it was great. Um, but I want my kids to experience four seasons. I, I like that concept. And there's just a lot of great activities. I mean, there's stuff here in Arizona as well, but, um, we're just very impressed with what's available uh, to families in that area. So that's kind of the, the, the main thing, but house shopping, you bring up a great point because I mean, everybody's doing this. If you're, if you're selling or buying a house and you're a woodworker, you've got to think about these things. And one of them is where am I going to do the woodworking? Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, well, especially considering it's your business, you yeah, know, it's not an option. It has yeah. to be there. So that is actually number one. Number one is, can we find a place that will accommodate my tools in either their current form or some pared down version? 
of them so that I could hit the ground running and start woodworking. Uh, and even then, let's say it's just got a big garage. That doesn't mean that the garage has the power requirements that I need. So I may need to move in and on day one, try to find a contractor or electrician um, to simply come in and run some extra lines so that I could plug the damn tools in. You know, so there's so many layers of things to worry about. Now, fortunately, the place we found is unique. It's got about a five to six car garage on it already attached to the house. And the person who was there before did like some industrial level work. There's even a phase converter in there for some, for some three phase tools. I like, okay, I don't, I don't even have that in my shop. Um, so 220 is no problem in this place. So that's why we're kind of looking at this going, well, this is a bit of a golden opportunity here. Oh, golden Colorado. Uh, Funny. Um, nice. Yeah, that was unintentional, but nice. So big problem. It's a shame that Coors Light is such a terrible beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I was sponsored to race for them in college, so I'm allowed to say that. It's there terrible beer. <laughs> I guess they, there goes our uh, beer sponsorship. So much for yeah. that. Yeah. So anyways, the space will probably work out pretty well. And as a result, because it's got this big giant garage, that's where a lot of like the house's cost is. So the inside of the house is not quite what we'd like it to be but that's you know over time we can fix those things we can it's all cosmetic we can change what we uh want to make it more our style you know make it more of a a place we enjoy living that's one nice thing because i seem to remember that like the minimum out there was three cars you know three car garage that's very common yeah it is common but i'll tell you even more so is the two car garage and that's super competitive right now like everyone's going out there to smoke pot so (laughs) like (laughs) so the three four hundred thousand dollar homes are like impossible to unless you're there like at the moment it goes on sale and you're like okay here's my i'm putting in a bid um it's an incredibly difficult market to get into and these two car garages they're okay but i mean it, it is very difficult to imagine compressing everything i have into a two car situation especially because nicole wants to park in the garage like it's one thing in the heat to have your car outside in the cold when it's ice and snow and you got to sh- like scrape everything off your car you really do want that car in a garage if you can do that <laughs> so um yeah so it's a, it's an interesting thing to ponder i don't know for sure it's happening but that's that's what i'm looking at so i did want to ask you guys well you know they don't get ice out there right you just need a leaf blower. Okay, that's fine. I'll get a leaf blower. We're good. I've got a four-year-old. Whatever it is, he'll take care of it. <laughs> nice. Excellent. Put his butt to work. Um, so if you guys were moving, I'm just curious, would you ever consider, and maybe Shannon, maybe you're disqualified from this because all your tools <laughs> all your tools fit into a back, like a backpack. And, yeah, yeah, except my 500-pound workbench. A stick and a little sack over your shoulders. <laughs> Shannon on the road. But nice. like... Uh, you Reading know, the hobo signs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, riding on a train, singing songs with, with a hobo next to you. Um, so Matt, you're in a similar situation. You got big tools. And if you were moving, would you ever consider selling where you are and then rebuying when you get there? If what? I had to travel a decent distance, great, I guess. Great distance. In your case, yeah, I probably would. It dep- well, I guess it depends on the tool specifically. Yeah. but like Maybe at least some of them the resale value on them, but like maybe my first thing comes to mind is like my planer, my jointer. Um, depends how much it costs to move really. And how much it really would, I would really. I was going to say, you've done this moving before. I have just locally. And that, I mean, that couldn't have been cheap. No, it wasn't cheap, but I actually, you know, I, you might have to do the math to say, what could I sell it for? What would it cost me to buy new? Uh, and how many times could I do that before I just paid for the cost of, you know, or it's costing me as much as it would have cost the moving company. Yeah, here's yeah, the thing, you, though. If it's you like autograph it, though, you could sell it for more. Oh, that's yeah. true. Yeah, of course I for could. More. I was well, going to say that nowadays the tools that I have have appreciated in, in new purchase price value. And okay. I bought them like a lot of times I bought them when they had these sales they don't have anymore. Yeah. So it's almost like, well, I don't know. But then on the, on the flip side, like some tools like, I'll sell them and get a bigger whatever if I have more space <laughs> to go to, you know? If like yeah. sell my bandsaw and get a giant bandsaw when I get to wherever this new place is. Yeah. See, I'm not I'm not really planning on selling anything, but that part of the strategy does appeal to me to think, okay, is there anything that I was gonna upgrade anyway? So yeah. let's go ahead and sell it and then upgrade when I get there. Or because I am potentially, if I do move, going into a smaller space, is there something that I'm downgrading that I could just sell here and then get the smaller version or a combo tool or something like that when I get there? So I think that's probably not a bad strategy. I'm not sure it makes a whole lot of sense to me to just like, I guess if you have the ability, I mean, it's, it would be expensive to do it this way, but just sell all your old tools and completely repopulate once you get there. I, I don't know that I could pull that off. 
Yeah, it's, that would be a bit interesting. Much. I, I see that every now and then on Craigslist. Someone's like, I'm moving somewhere and I'm selling all my stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> everything in the shop's for sale. Oh, you're not taking anything. No, nothing. Okay. Yeah, that's that's just a big endeavor. And, I, and I, the thing is, I would probably just go buy in some of like, the same exact things when I get there. So I'm going to lose money on it just to end up with the same tool. That that doesn't make yeah. any sense, you know? So, well, yeah. You know, maybe it's an excuse to get a saw stop. Oh, there you go. Powermatic would love that. <laughs> <laughs> that would go well for 2017 sponsorship. Nice. Uh, yeah. So anyway, we'll see. Lots lots of things have to happen for this to go through, you know. Um, but I, I don't know. We'll see. I'm not saying too much about it until I know more. So we'll see. But yes, another move might, just might be in my future. Oh, good. I've really been so, missing your moving videos. It's been a while. Yeah, I mean, been, it's been six months or so. I'm kind I'll tell of, you, that was a staple of your, of like the early days of your show, like for real. Like, <laughs> I'm I don't know how many times I watched you put like tape on chisels to protect the edges. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we'll call in classic TWW style. We're moving. <laughs> Yay. <Yeah>. Again. <laughs> and we'll see how that goes. We're putting up a fake wall. <laughs> that that will not be happening in this place. But. When when you do it, when you when you clear out the existing shop, you need to have like a big wheel race in there. And yeah, like put up cones and you know you got the kids. You know, uh, although Ava might be a bit young for that yet, but you know you could put her on a basket. Yeah, have, pull her around. Yeah, yeah I like that idea. Yeah, it's it's, race. it's crazy. I don't know. It sounds nuts, but it's it, uh, it's the right move for us. But you know the whole shop <laughs> move. You got it. Just takes a lot of energy. To, to, what is the temperature in Phoenix right now? Too high. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not Just exactly. Keep that in the, in, the, in the back of your mind. It's well, look, 93 here now, so I can only imagine what it is in Phoenix. Well, I posted this on Facebook because I was sort of talking to Nicole the other night about like, oh man, we're moving. We built this dream shop here. I have so many good memories in there. We had our, our kids here. There's memories over that. And I'm like just kind of getting a little sad about it and reminiscing. And as I'm saying that, I'm walking through the kitchen and it's dark and I see this little shadow on the ground that wasn't like, I don't know, just at a corner of my eye. I was like, that doesn't look right. But I was about to step right over that shadow. So I pulled back and turned on the lights and there's a little Arizona bark scorpion uh, <laughs> on my floor. And those are the kind that actually can can kill people, um, usually oh. not adults, but children, animals, and those with like immune compromised systems. Um, for adults, it's usually just extremely painful and may require a hospital visit. I haven't seen one. That's the first time I've seen one of those here, but that's exactly what it was. And I'm like, after that, I was like, you know what? F this place. <laughs> We're out. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it'll be a distant memory and I will enjoy it in pictures because that's what pictures and video are for, right? So, I don't have anything scary like that up here. That, that would be, I wouldn't like that. Yeah. And I mean, every place has dangerous things, but like yeah, usually I mean, you have Canadians, don't you, Matt? Yeah, they're, they're they, very if dangerous. If they come down, you know, a little bit. <laughs> Ways, yeah. If they hurt you, they'll apologize, which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Eh? We're so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good stuff. All right. So enough about my business. Matt, what's going on with you? It's been so long. I've been doing so much. It's been very strange. Cool. I have this much stuff in my, my list of things I've been doing. So a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah. Also, since the announcement video, I've been procreating. So there's that. <laughs> You know, procreating. Congratulations and <laughs> yay. Yeah. Seriously, we haven't said that officially other than in that vacation. Yeah, the show. quick vacation Congrats. show. Yeah. So Matt's that was, which was hilarious, by the way, because I was like, oh, oh yeah, I'll listen to this in a couple minutes. Like, oh, That's the thing. I do. I do those things and I don't even tell you guys what I'm going to say in them. So, you know, it's always a nice surprise to, to see what I come out with. And Mateo's little silly interview, which was totally unexpected and not planned. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So congratulations. Number two is uh, on the way. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Should be fun. So for that like announcement thing, I did a hexagonal dovetail box, which was a very interesting endeavor for me because I've never done wow well, uh, dovetails in that at that angle or a kind of mm-hmm. weird angle before. So mm-hmm. every corner in that box is at 120 degrees, I think, instead of okay. 90. Okay. So those joints are coming in at an at a different angle other than 90. So that was a hard enough thing to get my mind around, like how these things get laid out and how they come together. Because when you look at the finished joint. It almost looks like like a perspective view, like if you're looking at a something in um, like SketchUp or something, because mm-hmm. you can mm-hmm. see both sides of the joint in the same view. So it looks super goofy. And until you actually cut the first one, you're like, oh, that's how they come together, and that's how they're supposed to look. Yeah, it just it just makes your brain like implode. My brain's but the hurting first just time you do it, it, you're kind of like, oh, really? Why was I stressing over that? Yes, yeah. Well, there it's was just, yeah. just the angle of the baseline. Just shoot the <laughs> end of that angle and lay it out as normal, right? Yeah, it's easy. 
Very strange. But uh, I got through it. It was actually a lot of fun, and I, I learned a lot. Also, I also learned that I haven't dovetailed in a while, and oh my god! <laughs> oh, you out of lose practice. Quickly. Yeah. Oh, that was just some pretty gappy dovetails. <laughs> That's what filler is made for. I remember at uh, Woodworking America a couple of years ago. You know, they have the Olympics thing, and the dovetail event was part of it. And um, is is terrible because I show up, and of course Mike Seamson's like, "Oh, Mr. Hand Tool School," and he like gathers a crowd around, which makes things even worse. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, I just built several dining tables. I built like a chest of drawers, but I didn't dovetail the drawers. I'm trying to think the last time I dovetailed something. It was like nine months or so since I'd cut a dovetail. Oh, oh God, it was terrible. You could drive trucks through those gaps. <laughs> well, you're in good you company definitely, there. like, lose the sense memory a little bit. You've yeah. got to, like, oh. get back into it. I should have cut a joint, like, you know, somewhere else and then come in. It would have been so much better. Just take one in the bathroom when no one's looking. You're right. <laughs> what are you doing in there? <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, uh, nothing. Sawing wood. <laughs> Cutting dovetail. Is that a euphemism? Uh, <laughs> yep, it is. Anyway, nice. we totally hijacked Matt here. Yeah, as we do. That's part of it, right? We like to step all over Matt. Yeah, exactly. whether it's a vandalist or a kimono, we hijacked yeah. Matt. Shut up, Matt. Stop talking. Feels good. I'm a Matt, you know. Just take a tee off. I'm just literally a Matt. Anyway, um, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah. So that was a lot of fun just to kind of go out there, try something different. And one thing I like about, I, I've i been getting into like making boxes a little bit here and there lately too, for two reasons. Because for one, it makes for a really easy video for me to make because I do them in a style where I don't have to do much editing. Mm-hmm. I don't talk. I don't do any voiceovers. It's literally just the sounds of the of the machines or the chisels or whatever. And that comes together really easily in post. And then the other reason is it's kind of fun because you can kind of totally throw like the rules of wood movement out the window at that scale. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. like I like glue the bottoms directly to the box. It's like I feel so dirty doing it. But, <laughs> but oh. <laughs> it's like a woodworker's version of like just partying. Like oh, yeah. it's I, just crazy time. It's absolutely fantastic. And I really like the look because you can see like you have this nice little like contrasting color in my kids because I did a different species of wood on there. Uh-huh. So I have this nice band of a different wood along the bottom there, which you couldn't really normally get unless you literally glued like a strip of wood to the bottom of your sides, mm-hmm. which would be kind of a goofy thing to do. But I guess we'd do the same thing. But nice. I don't know. It's kind of a fun. It's, a, it's definitely freeing. That's for sure. We've got a voicemail later on dealing with something similar to that and breaking wood movement rules. So that, that'll be uh, pretty relevant. Cool. Ooh, ooh, tie-in. Look at that. I know. It's awesome. It's almost like we did it on purpose. (laughs) But we didn't. Almost. (laughs) No one would actually believe that. We don't work that hard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and then this last, uh, well, like two weeks, I've been working on this big farmhouse table. It's a big white oak uh, table. I got the logs, like, oh, almost two years ago. In the fall of 2014, I cut them up into uh, 12-quarter and 16-quarter slabs. I got the the top out of two 12 quarter slabs and that's been very interesting to flatten those things because they had a bit of twist to them mm-hmm. so it's been like it was a lot of work and then one slab was too wide for my planer the other one was just wide enough where it would be fine i think it was 17 inches wide so i did like the jointer for the first 12 inches and then flatten that area and then ran the whole thing through my planer and then for the other one i did that with a router sled and wow it took me like i was flattening with the router sled Three and a half hours. I lost. <laughs> wow. I had I had nerve damage in my finger, like temporary nerve damage. I couldn't feel my finger from moving that router back and forth and holding that thing for so long and all the vibrations. Can you imagine what? the people who do that? Like all they do is slab tables and oh. stuff, and they just do it every day. I wonder it costs so much. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. They probably they probably have like big bad CNC machines. What's that? Um, some some of them do. Thing that um that uh Stuart Lee's Stu Shed guy had um you Ooh. know the big bed with the overarm router on it and everything. It's like a CNC, but something yeah, like that. I don't remember that. I know Paul from Canadian Woodworks. He's got like a, he has basically a CNC, like a manual CNC. He's got a spindle on it, a six and a half horsepower spindle, and I think a three or four inch wide uh, cutter. And when mm. I was there, he was telling me he could do a, a full width pass at three eighths of an inch deep. So oh. like totally like one, wow. one pass over the whole slab and you can pretty, knock, pretty much knock out anything. That makes a little dust, I bet. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. have dust collection in there either. Oh, that. man. So well, that's great. If I remember right, Nick Offerman's got something like that because that's what he's, his shop specializes in is those mm-hmm. slab tables. And they had some sort of – I mean, I think it's like a home – like a, a shop belt type apparatus. But yeah, it just comes do down it. to enough horsepower and a big bit, right? If you do enough of them, definitely worth the investment. And now, how big is this slab? Much. What are we talking about? 
the my slabs? Yeah, the one that took you three hours to do. It was it's a ten foot slab, and it was twenty three inches wide. And okay. I had to knock out. I knocked out. Uh, I think a half or three quarters of an inch of twist on each side. So it went down from being four and a four and a quarter inches off the table all the way down to two inches thick. So I remo- so I went down all those passes to get down to well, two and a quarter inches worth of passing or whatever wow. of depth travel. Damn. Because you know my immediate reaction anytime I hear a story like this, especially with slabs like that, is you know what what I what would I have done by hand? And three hours sounds an awful long time, even doing it by hand. You would be I don't know. If I've got to remove a half inch to three quarters of an inch of thickness, that's a lot of planing. <laughs> I'm just thinking, you know, I could I could traverse up and back on that thing and I'd be exhausted and out of breath, but you know, I could do it in like yeah, thirty minutes and oh, here's but that's the, here's one a, pass. Here's here's a good story for you too. So for the other slab that I did on my on my jointer, I did a quarter inch deep pass to make that wide rabbit. And then I had a five-inch strip that I needed to bring down. So that's a five-inch wide strip, quarter-inch deep, 10 feet long. That's a lot of planing. So I started going at it with the number three, like really roughing it out. I'm like, this will take forever. I'm like, oh, yeah, I have an electric hand planer. So I grabbed that, and I went over the whole thing with the electric hand planer to knock that quarter-inch down. Because all I have to do is get it at least flush or below the surface of the other one, so then you can run through the planer. Mm -hmm. But, oh, my God, I'm like, you'd be at this forever. And I was outside. So I don't have room in my shop to do this. So it's like in the sun, <laughs> obviously. It's not Arizona, but yeah. it's summertime here. It's still hot. Regardless, yeah, it's still hot. I decided to wear a black shirt that day. I don't know why. That was dumb. Because you're a tough guy. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I kind of woke up a sweat. I'm like, if I wasn't filming this, I'd be topless. You know, this is the problem. Sweat. This is why you have two kids now. <laughs> you keep doing that. You, yeah, your wife seriously. can't control herself. <laughs> yeah. Lindsay to get a hold of herself. <laughs> Child three is on the way. Two, two, and two is still Matt in there. Dimensioning with a shirt off again. <laughs> Guess what? Wasn't it Shannon who was supposed to be shirtless and his wife coming out with the lemonade? That was oh, like a couple yes. shows ago. Now it's Matt. Yes, with the lady. <laughs> yeah, you yes. both are two uh, two sexy yeah. woodworkers. Well, you know what I wonder is is somewhat of a, and I'm going to use the guess the word, the hybrid approach, even though it's all power tools at this point, but using that electric hand planer in combination with the router sled because with the twist, you know, you're making this pass to take down the twist, but I wonder if hitting it with the electric planer, kind of knocking down the high spots, just focusing on those high spots. Chewing up the corner then, first. Yeah. Yeah. Then setting your router sled in place, your trammel set in place. So then maybe you can do it with one pass instead of having to like take a bunch of high stuff down here. And that might actually be a more efficient way to do it. I mean, that's how I would do it by hand. I would, you know, grab my foreplane or my scrub and really just focus on the really high spots and then come back with full length, full length passes um, with another plane. So doing the same thing with power tools, your kind of course tool is that electric hand planer. Mm-hmm. And then your refinement tool is the, um, what are we calling that? Router sled, I guess is <laughs> the term for yeah. that. I don't know. Router sled sounds good. Yeah. I wonder, like. If you if you had to do it again, I wonder if that would actually cut down the time. Oh, if if I had to do it again, I would just use the chainsaw mill or something and rig it up that way to take that up. But <laughs> I would just I'm use doing, the <laughs> That's the thing is like we we as like content creators, we're like doing these things like like especially with this, I'm I'm filming it as like an actual class thing too. So it's like, do I expect someone to have a chainsaw mill to cut this slab down and flatten it? Yeah, that's always the problem. Well, or like so that, that's where you drop in an affiliate link to a chainsaw mill. <laughs> 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 or, or you create another piece of content that says how to make your own chainsaw mill. Come on, Matt. Cross promotion. <laughs> Come on. Think like a marketer. What are you doing? <laughs> uh, just trying to prevent hate comments and saying, oh, it's all. No, they're going to happen. Anyway. They're going to happen anyway. Like talking about content creation. Ah, yeah. yes. <laughs> so better cut that out. You guys <laughs> stop me. What's wrong with you? I tried to, but you're, you're too aggressive. I thought you were supposed to like you know. I am supposed to be stepping. I'm supposed to be stepping on top of you. So yeah, shut up, Matt. (laughs) Shut up, Shannon. (laughs) (laughs) We're just gonna listen to Mark. Both of you are in trouble now. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. All right. Anything else? I have one last thing. I thought it'd be kind of cool. Is I uh, someone came by and brought me a piece of thermally modified ash, and I've never seen it before. I've heard of it. And it's really cool. What's I don't know that? if you have it at your yard there, Shannon, but it's pretty sweet What's stuff. What's that do it's, for you? <clears throat> we don't stock it, but we brought it in before. Uh, it's cool. Window guys love it. Yeah, it doesn't move. It's, it's not supposed to move nearly as much as any other piece of wood because it's been basically baked. 
It's basically and, not wood anymore. It's been chemically modified at the cellular <laughs> level, so it's almost crystalline rather than fibrous. Really it's cool stuff. Yeah. It's awesome. It has a nice like uh, burnt kind of smell to it, like a little bit like a fireplace kind of thing going on. It smells it's good. What, um, Lee Valley uses it for their. They use torrified or thermally modified torrified. I think is the in- industry term. Torrified maple is what's in the handles of Lee Nielsen chisels. The stuff is practically indestructible. So super tough and, then, and yeah. it just doesn't move. Sweet. So door manufacturers, window manufacturers, especially exterior doors where, you know, the movement is a major issue. Uh, they love it. Love this stuff. And how does it, it uh, uh, how does it work? Like in terms of cutting, is it rough on the tools? I'm going to find that out. I got a small piece <laughs> here. I'm going to play with it. Yeah. I'm let us know. I think, think it's something to do with it, but it's from uh, what it's, I understand. It's a much more homogenous type. Um, yeah. Like a, if you have like a really dense um, hardwood that almost doesn't have grain because it's just so close and dense. Uh, I think of boxwood is a really good one. Um, uh, Alaskan yellow cedar is another one where it works like there's almost no grain at all because it's really dense. It's almost like I, a, I don't have firsthand experience. This is just what I'm told by the guys that use it. Um, so like a most composite of, of some sort also, like MDF or even a plastic sort of yeah, thing. If you're yeah, very much that. like that. But then again, most of the guys I know that use it are CNC like shops. So, okay. you know, it's not like they, it's not like they're sweating where they do it. Pushing that button is a little bit easier than running it across the table. Well, they it's might got a really thin cool color too. Like it's this is ash. So you're like, this does not look like ash. It looks like, well, it has like the ash grain, but it looks like wenge or mm-hmm. like really dark walnut or something, and it's that color all the way through. It's wow. ash creme brulee. Yeah, it's it's nice. You need to to turn it into an indestructible toothpick. <laughs> yeah, great. That'd be a good use for it. <laughs> Good deal. All right, Shannon, what about you, man? Uh, well, I, um, I've been busy since we uh, had our last show. I, well, you guys know I've been working on a brand new hand tool school site for better part of a year. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that was due to development team up and bailing on me midway through. I, I, I drove the developers to drink and they quit on me. So we had to basically start over with a new team and change everything around and kind of gutted the old site and rebuilt it from the ground up with a totally new user experience. And, you know, knock on wood, we launched and really have not had too many technical problems. There's still some bugs we're working on here and there, but um, I'm just thrilled to have it out there because it means that I stop doing code at night and I can actually go back to the shop. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty awesome. I mean, it's one of those things where um, even though I have a development team working with me, there was so much already done that I just, I can't take a back seat. You know, maybe yeah. I'm partly a control freak, but I've also been running my own sites for so long that so much of the kind of pseudo development, the typical HTML and CSS stuff that, you know, a hack like myself can put together. I did all that and my development team did all the heavy lifting with the actual real programming behind the scenes. So it's been, I mean, it's been a year of pretty much nonstop moving stuff around. And when you've got as much content as I do in the hand tool school, moving that and reformatting it, there's just no easy way to do it. You know, there's probably some script somebody knows how to write somewhere that would automatically move stuff around. But in some instances, it was just as simple as like moving the embed code for the player, like above the content, you know, right. And you got to do it a hundred and eighty (laughs) seven times. Yeah, that's always fun. But we are we are live, Good. and the the cool part is I launched a new product called Apprenticeship. I've talked about it before. Um, it's essentially woodworking coaching, but it's uh, got off to a great start. We've got um, uh, I want to say about twenty people that have jumped in at this point, and it's just awesome. Um, it's it's coaching is the best word for it, but it's like people who need kind of a little bit of extra help or guidance if you've got a specific project you're building. Um, you know, apprenticeship is essentially monthly recurring fee deal, but you've got kind of access to me to walk you through stuff and we can design, come up with designs that can maybe address your weaknesses and help you. Like if you really want to learn dovetailing, the best thing I think you can do is build a chest of drawers. (laughs) You will learn dovetailing by the time you're done building a chest of drawers, but it, it scares people, you Mm -hmm. know? So we kind of work through that. And so far, you know, I've got guys that are just so excited and it's really been something that's kind of not that I'd lost any passion for it, but it reignited passion in a big way for me. Um, the the part that I love about teaching woodworking and hand tool woodworking is back in such a big, big way. So I'm yeah. I'm really really excited about apprenticeship. It's just a it's an extra layer of um, of teaching of tutelage and content that that I'm creating. 
um, behind the, not really behind the scenes, but it's something that it's a whole library of content that's available only to apprentices. And mm-hmm. it's exciting. It's that's exciting. Good, it's also, it's a big move for my business as well that I think will hopefully change my life going forward. Sure. You can only hope. So yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting, but that's enough like inside baseball, right? We get in trouble for that. Yep. You used um, up all of our time. <laughs> as far as woodworking goes, uh, I've been working on this blanket chest for so long because I've had all that development work to do. And with that out of the way, it's like, you know, what? it's time to glue this thing up. Well, anytime you've got a case that has 15 dovetails on each corner, you've got a bit of a glue up issue. You know, you know that you're going to be running around like crazy trying to get this thing going. And of course you've got to maintain the case nice and square. And then I've got internal um, frame and panel setups that go into grooves, housed grooves and everything. And so I, um, I don't know about you guys, but I go through like a serious, it's more than just a dry fit. It's like a rehearsal Mm -hmm. to get this done and make sure I've got not only my clamps in the right place, but every part staged exactly the way I want it. And like then thinking about, well, you know, I've got to slab all this glue on. So do I put something under it between the bench to catch the drips? And how do I prevent the drips from like landing in parts that I'm going to have to clean up later? So I went through like a dry fit, I think four times on this and like <laughs> wow. constantly tweaking and changing. <laughs> I've also got these, um, that's crazy, man. Specialized dovetail calls. You know how, mm-hmm. um, when dovetails come together, often one part, usually the ingrain of the pins comes proud of the tail. And if you put a, a clamp across it, a lot of times that ingrain can prevent the tail from seating properly, seating all the way into the baseline. Yeah. So I created these custom spaced dovetail calls just out of like construction lumber to a two by lumber with the, the exact spacing of the tails cut in with about like an eighth of an inch reveal. So the, the dovetail part of the call was pressing down on the tail and there was a little gap to allow the pins to come through and come proud of it. So I'm like, wrangling the calls to hold them in place and then it's like well this doesn't work so let me flip the whole case 90 degrees and let gravity hold the calls in place well now i got to figure out how to way to get a clamp under it so now i've got a block underneath the claw <laughs> so that the clamp can go in and then it was like some silly things like okay well if i put the glue on the pins and then i go to put glue on the tail of the back well when you actually flip the pin boards up they're out of out of order like the the left is the right and the right is the left because i'm actually putting the back down on top of it so it's like i'm moving all this stuff around but i gotta say all of those little rehearsals and all those dry runs and kind of tweaking the clamping system and how i made it work and then from a from a content creator perspective apologize nope 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 nope, nope, nope. Not allowed. how to film it <laughs> while not having to stop and move cameras so i had yeah. like all these cameras set up <laughs> in various places and i just hit like record on all four cameras and just went at it and everything <clears throat> came together perfectly I glued up this entire case. The whole glue up took about eight minutes um, from, yeah. you know, pulling the glue, the high glue out of the pot to putting the last clamp in place. And it was, it was just really rewarding experience of all my rehearsals, rehearsals paid off and everything came together perfectly. The case was perfectly square. All the joints closed up tightly. You know, I didn't drop any clamps on my toe, which was nice. <laughs> it was good. It was just kind of one of those things where we always talk about a dry fit you know, on a clamping strategy and, you know, don't be afraid to like walk through it several times. And if you find, wow, that's awkward, then there's probably something you can do to change it and make it work a little bit better. Cause I've been working on this case too long to screw up the glue up, man. Well, when it comes to the dovetails like that too, uh, another thing that I'm usually tempted to do instead of making this custom annoying, you know, call <laughs> that you're going to have to make multiple of to be able to do it effectively um, I usually try to like see, okay, can I just get the clamp just off of the dovetails, like just inside the yeah. dovetails? But what inevitably happens, even on you know fairly small projects, you flex the center of the board to right. some extent. Mm-hmm. So you actually are creating a gap on the other side because those tails or whatever you're clamping yeah, in. At the usually, baseline, it actually opens Yeah, you're up lifting it at the baseline. So it's like that, I'm, I'm, I, you don't see people do that that often, but it really is like something that you have to do if you truly want a good airtight joint where, where the tails and the pins meet. Well, and in my, and in my dry runs or initially I, I did that. I, you know, I put the clamps to the inside of the baseline and they didn't flex a lot. I and mean, we were talking about a seven, eight inch thick case material yeah. here. Mm-hmm. But because there's an internal frame, uh, a frame and panel, which is set almost exactly to the size of the groove, I've maybe got a 32nd of an inch of space, but it's a frame and panel. It's not going to move on me that much. Yeah. But that um, frame and panel, uh, it when I put the clamp across, it kind of pinched that 
unnecessarily. And there is some room for it to give. And yeah, it was just one of those things where I might've been okay. I might've gotten away with it, but, um, you know, it it was just safer in the long run. I actually think I saw that dovetail call thing from David Marks way back when. So yeah, Yeah, it works well. Put put tape inside everything, like inside on the baseline, so that I didn't have to clean a bunch of glue out of the inside of the case. Oh, that and, is very David Marks of you then. Yeah, <laughs> I was channeling David Marks. Did you make it out of MDF first? <laughs> well, the, the first three no, but preliminary I coated jigs. everything in packing tape. I just didn't use a layer of cork underneath my packing tape. Yeah, yeah. and then I then I went to Burning Man afterwards. Uh, and awesome. Then you played your drums. <laughs> yes. <And> cool. <laughs> it stands on my bench. That's right. <laughs> Only, only the best with David. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's move into what's new. A couple things to share with you here, real quick. Andy Klein, fellow woodworker, uh, inventor extraordinaire, makes all kinds of cool stuff these days. Well, he's got a YouTube video up there. Sent uh, actually sent me a link on my Facebook page. I thought I would share it with you guys. It's a macro lens stand for an iPhone. So he constructs the stand completely out of wood and does this thing where he embeds LED lights into it and uses a lens to magnify the camera on the iPhone. So you can sort of put it on a surface and the lights can uh, uh, light the underside of it. So you can actually see what you're looking at. Uh, you could hold it up a little bit and look at something that's, you know, below it, however you want to do it. And now it's an, you know, it's an iPhone. So you can record and get a video of this. And the magnification on this was really impressive. Um, but it's just fun to see a quick little project like this that actually, I don't know, kind of has some pretty cool applications. I, I, I would want to look at things like you know, wood grain and get that really close up sort of shot. Look at the edge of, of tools when I'm sharpening them just to kind of see how free. Oh, that's a good one. Right. How cool would that be? Just a really see. good one. We talk about that all the time. Like how, oh, theoretically, if you're, sh- you know, uh, sharpening at this grit, it's going to be a much more jagged edge. And, and the more honed it is, the cleaner that edge is. Well, let's take a look at it. Let's see if it actually does look like that. Um, so really fun little video and uh, should inspire you to possibly make one for yourself because I think it'd be pretty, uh, pretty cool. But there, there's a bug in the video oh, yeah. that makes me nervous because it keeps lifting its butt up <laughs> like a, like a scorpion almost, but it's definitely not a scorpion because it looks like some kind of larva type situation. I don't know. It's a, a creepy looking bug. Money larva. <laughs> yeah, it is money larva. That's, that's what money happens. Larva. Why you always wash your hands after touching money, <laughs> uh, but good stuff. Go check it out. It's uh, a- Andy Klein. He's a good dude. Cool. Uh, Preston sent us this next one. It is a series of downloadable PDF books from the Metropolitan Museum of Art and the National Gallery of Art. Hmm. This is another one. As I've, I've talked about something like this in the past where there's a book that I own and paid money for that now you can download for free on the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Um, <laughs> there are several um, kind of museum-style books in the decorative arts section of the Smithsonian and the National Gallery um, that are just fantastic. If you're into uh, looking at those kind of coffee table style books, which I love when it comes to inspiration for furniture designs. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of them that you can download. The most notable one is the American Furniture from the Kaufman Collection, which has some fantastic stuff uh, from the National Gallery of 18th Century Furniture. And you can download the whole thing for free. We will include the link for that. It's pretty impressive. you laugh at me because I paid for it. Yeah, <laughs> that's always fun. And uh, just really eye candy pictures, like really good yeah. inspirational yeah. stuff in there. Yeah, there's a, a lot of uh, Goddard and Townsend furniture in that collection. So some really kind of um, pinnacle of, of the period type stuff. Yeah, it's awesome. It's beautiful. So what's this? Uh, M- Maker Shustle? Maker Shustle. Shustle. Maker Shustle, Shustle. podcast? Shustle. Well, do you guys like podcasts? Not, I don't know. Not really. Not really Podcasting not. is dead, isn't it? That's yeah, it's it pretty is. much a dead art. It died with like, RSS. Kind of like woodworking, you know? That's right. Like dying art. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but a uh, new podcast started up I think uh, last week they're on episode 2 now this is uh, the Maker's Hustle Hustle Maker's Hustle not Maker's not Hustle Maker's Shustle you sure? Maker's Close. Shustle I mean I guess you know emphasis and syllables and, and whatnot. yeah but this is all about you know everybody wants to sell the stuff and make money doing making stuff and whatnot. so this is all about the business the business side behind making stuff and doing it for a living and that kind of stuff. So it's a really cool podcast. One of the guys started is named Bill. Good friend of mine. Check it out. Audio stuff. It is good stuff. More, <laughs> more audio is good. I just don't have audio enough time stuff. to listen to it all. That's the problem. Uh, yeah, me too. But, you know. Well, very cool. Good luck with that, Maker Shussels. Um, Shussels. <laughs> all right. So we got a quick kickback here from Dan uh, with regard to Japanese saws. Conversation we had, uh, I guess, a couple shows ago. Hey guys, this is Dan in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Hey, I was calling about your discussion on Western and Eastern saws. 
And I just going to mention, you know, for me, the real upside to the Japanese saws, particularly the ones I use, which are, uh, I think, classed as disposable, is uh, they're cheap. I can replace the blades when I bust teeth off them, and uh, it's just convenient. So, you know, it's a real low barrier to entry to get a, you know, like a, a dozuki, you know, saw made by razor saw or Z or whatever. Um, so just something for people to people, something for people to keep in mind. All right, thanks. Love the show. Hey, Bye. be polite. <laughs> Listen, Dan is in no rush. Okay, <laughs> he lives his uh, life at Tennessee. a pace we could only dream of. I love Tennessee. Let's yeah. not make fun of it. Such a laid back people. <clears throat> yes, it is. Thanks for that, Dan. Uh, in spite of Shannon. Being a turtle, uh, we appreciate. You don't know that it was me. I Probably do know. Matt. The, the, it was too loud to be Matt. His his uh, mic is always quieter than yours. <laughs> he also snores differently. I know this. Trust me. Um, wow, that's, that was way too much information. That's really weird. <laughs> so um, creepy. Got to go there sometimes. Oh boy. Yeah. You know what's not creepy? My sweet, Halo? my sweet Kalo ring. In oh, fact. Yeah. I, w- I wore it on the road, went to a family reunion and a, a couple of, uh, I guess, cousins, Nicole's cousins or something. We get just, they saw it and got on the subject of it and they had no idea that it was uh, made of like a silicone rubbery material. They just thought it was kind of like a, a, a matte metal, not matte with two T's, but matte with two <laughs> T's and an E, uh, like a matte metal of some sort. And I was like, no, no, it's actually rubber here. Try it on. So it became uh, quite the topic of conversation, and uh, I still, to this day, wear it, love it, absolutely think it's uh, one of the coolest things, and I'm not really a big jewelry guy, um, but it is creating a little bit of, um, well, I've been wearing it so long, I'm getting the whole ring sun suntan thing nice, <laughs> on my nice. hand. Uh, it's a little wider than my uh, regular wedding ring, so it's kind of covering a little bit more space. Uh, Matt, you still you still jamming yours these days? Jamming and jam. Isn't that what the kids say, right? You, you're one of the kids. Come on. What, what would a kid oh, say? I think they said that know. in the 80s. Still pimping the ring, I pimping, guess. I pimping don't know. It? Okay. I don't know. That's terrible. You're an awful kid. I'm yeah, not connected know. with, you know, <laughs> pop culture enough, I guess. <laughs> Evidently <laughs> not. You know, glue peels right off it. I, I speak from firsthand experience. Oh, does it? I haven't had that happen yet. Yeah, I am it's unable to do ring. a glue up without getting glue all over everything. <laughs> so, yeah. It peels right off the silicone ring. It's nice. Cool. Yeah. It does Your a really good ring job. ring is a Pokemon. You're, it is a Pokemon? I don't know. It could be. Could Didn't be. It? Catch like it. Like a K-Lo Pokemon. And that's the thing nowadays, right? Well, Pokemon Go or whatever? Yeah, well, they're super cheap, so you, you could potentially catch them all. Is <laughs> the way I'm looking at it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's good you stuff. You may continue. <laughs> uh, I will. I will indeed. Um, so yeah, loving my Kalo ring. Really enjoy it. I think you guys should check them out. Uh, definitely worth a look if you're looking for a safer alternative to wearing your classic uh, metal wedding ring in the shop or working out, whatever it is that you do. Uh, it will suit your lifestyle. And I'll remind you here that uh, Kalo is the functional wedding ring for your hardworking hands. Uh, Kalo silicone wedding rings are safe for your finger. And now that quality collection ring is made with Q2X material, 10 times more resistant to gas, oil, solvents, all that crap that we use in the shop and less rigid than traditional silicone. Um, in, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> extremely comfortable. <laughs> and they start at just fifteen ninety nine. I need some water. Uh, so go to Kalo.com, Q-A-L-O.com, and use the discount code WOODTALK for 15% off. And I think this this might be the last time we're going to mention Kalo unless they uh, renew for a uh, another set of ads in WoodTalk. So hopefully you guys have tried them. Let us know what you think of them, and we'll uh, pass that information on to Kalo. Or let Kalo know. Uh, go to your social media accounts and tag Kalo and tell them how much you like your ring and that you heard about them from WoodTalk, and that will help them support us more in the future. We appreciate it. That'd be awesome. It would indeed. Uh, all right, let's get to our voicemail. Since we were gone for a couple of weeks, we actually have a few to go through here, so let's try to get to them. Uh, Andreas has a question about table refinishing. Guys, this is uh, Andreas, upstate New York. Uh, I have a question about my walnut dining room table. It was made by a craftsman about 25 years ago or so um, in a local shop. It was not, I believe, finished with anything industrial like catalyzed lacquer or anything like that. Pretty sure it's just a varnish or polyurethane finish, but I'm not 100% sure. Uh, anyway, uh, one half of the table is now kind of gummy and sticky, the finish. Uh, I don't know if somebody cleaned it with uh, rocket fuel or, or Drano or something, but 
the end result is that one end of the table is all tacky. Uh, and if you leave a piece of paper on it overnight, you have to peel it off the next day. <laughs> so my assumption, you can me if I'm wrong, is that this finish is shot and I need to strip it and refinish the table. But never having restripped anything of this scope before, I was looking for suggestions on how best to go about that. What uh, chemicals to use, processes, scraping, sanding, I'm open to all uh, suggestions. And uh, appreciate the show. Love it. Keep up the good work. Thanks. Bye. Hmm. So you guys able to hear Nicole there? <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's letting me know she has to go to the store with the baby. Uh, all right. So refinishing really probably my least favorite thing to do in the shop ever. Uh, so it sounds to me like, I don't know, sometimes I've confronted this, especially like with old, you've ever gone into like an old restaurant and the tables are just gross. Um, they've been cleaned so many times and it's just got an old poly finish on it. That's kind of just gooey and sort of soft at this point. And it's really, I mean, he's right. You gotta, you gotta do a sort of, um, you know, thermonuclear do over on that. Like there isn't much you can do, but get that crap off uh, and start over again. So have you guys done much refinishing in your time where you're, you're dealing with the, the really nasty chemical strippers and trying to get down through a pretty significant layer of finish? The only time that I've really like had that situation where I knew just like a, you know, that I had to almost go back to the wood. Mm-hmm. I didn't even bother with the strippers because I didn't have any singles at the time. <laughs> but I'm um, I, I just too easy, like, too I easy. Grabbed, <laughs> I grabbed a hand plane and went right back to the wood. Yeah. Um, you know, lightly set, it only took like a pass and I was back to raw wood and it was just so much easier mm-hmm. than dealing with chemicals and nasty stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That stuff is no fun. I worked in a refinishing shop for a couple of years and they had actually one of those big dip tanks. So you're basically like just dropping this thing into this discuss. I don't know. It reminds me of something that like the Joker would have been dropped into <laughs> and come, comes out of. And that's how he, you know, his origin story, but it's, you know, it was effective, but man, it was really rough on the furniture and not that you would, you know, you could still use it on a surface like this and not necessarily do as much damage, but especially if you use the really nasty stuff, what is it like methyl chloride or something like that? Um, you ever get any of that on your skin? Hey, yep. Oh yeah. <laughs> That is no fun. So if, you know, my caveat here is like, you know, Shannon's idea is great because if you just put a little elbow grease into it, you could scrape or plane down through the finish. But sometimes gummy, that's the thing. If it's terrible, if it's super gummy, it sounds like it's just going to get stuck in the throat of the plane and, you know, get all over the bottom of your plane and and give you, you know, a headache over that. And for that matter, probably gum up sandpaper too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So in that case, I don't know that there is any other option other than, you know, going with a big nasty stripper or there's of course the more environmentally friendly strippers out there. They just take a lot longer to work. I was going to say, I was going to say the ones that take, they, <laughs> I just they, can't get away from that term. I was going to say they take debit cards. They don't uh, primarily friendly deal strippers. with cash. Wow. Um, so yeah, if biodegradable G strings, <laughs> yes. Sorry. Oh, boy. <laughs> so there's like the citrus based ones and things like that. And they do work, but you generally either have to apply them multiple times or you just wait a lot longer for them to eat into the finish layer. Um, so if you're going to go at it, what I used to do is just get a whole bunch of newspaper uh, put that on the ground, have the table set up above this newspaper because as much as you try to like, once you apply the stripper and you're scraping it off, you try to catch it. I used to try to catch it into like a cardboard box or something um, and let it solidify there and then throw it away. Um, a lot of it still gets on the ground, you know, so you're going to, of course, protect yourself, but protect the environment and not uh, get the stuff on the, the concrete because it will stain it. Um, so, you know, for me, that's about it. And there is no great way, you know, you're just scraping this crap off and trying to get as much of the finish off as possible. And typically after that first run, it's ready for sanding. You know, usually the goopy stuff is, is pretty much taken care of and you could either scrape or sand. I would recommend scraping first, um, and then get down to sanding into the, the bare wood at that point. So it's not, it's not that complicated of a procedure. It just sucks. You know, I don't know any other way to, to, to talk about it. So you guys have any other suggestions for him besides classic stripping and refinishing? No. The stripping thing is like I, I did that the, before I started woodworking. That's how I kind of got into woodworking is stripping furniture and refinishing it. Uh, that the chemical stuff works great, but it's not fun to use. Mm-mm. Make sure you pick up a can of that neutralizer. Right. Yeah. Because then that's the other thing you're making. You got to be careful what you do with the surface. Once you make that stuff airborne and you're you know sanding it, there's still traces of that chemical there. So cleaning the surface thoroughly is uh, pretty pretty damn important. I don't want to do that ever again, by the way. Keep, keep it off your skin. 
Oh man, I, I, you, you know you know when you get on your skins, you feel it right away. Yeah. Oh, what like is instantly. that? Oh, it splashed me. Ah. Oh, something something feels. Oh, okay, that hurts. <laughs> I'm melting. It, you go from aware of it to oh crap in like half a second. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. All right, cool. We got another one here from OCD Woodworker. Hey guys, OCD Woodworker from Cheshire, Connecticut. Um, my mother has a. Um, Clothes dryer rack. Um, Nobody's in a rush mostly today. Mostly wooden dowels and and a uh, square, like a square piece, like one by one frame on each side, and you kind of pull it up and uh, it folds down, and then you pull it up and it stretches out into this big rack where you can hang clothes. And it's uh, it's pretty old, the good quality, and all the new ones are very crappy. And we're trying to fix the ones that she has because there's uh, one broken dowel. What it is is where the dowels go into the side pieces. It's, it's like a five-eighths or a three-quarter dowel. And where it goes into the side pieces, um, it's, it goes down to about three-eighths in diameter. And the question is, how do you, um, you know, figure a 30-inch long, three-quarter-inch dowel, the last inch of it on both sides has to be cut down to three-eighths diameter, perfectly centered. I mean, I guess it doesn't have to be perfect, but um, I'm just not sure how to do that. Um, any, uh, I mean, I thought of maybe drilling a hole through the center of the dowel and a three-eighths hole and then just getting a short piece of three-eighths and gluing it in. Um, but if there's any way to keep it the same piece of, of wood, I'd um, be interested to know what you guys think. Uh, thanks a lot and hope you enjoyed your vacation. All right. So just to clarify here, I thought about this a little bit. Initially, I was thinking he's talking about sort of like a tapered reduction of diameter as you go toward the end. But I think he's actually talking about like a shouldered round a tenon, tenon yeah. right? So the only thing, and I've seen this before, I've never done it myself. The only thing I could think to do is, have you ever seen the little like jigs that people can make with it? They clamp to their router fence. And the idea is it's got a hole, a three quarter inch hole. In this case, he's got a three quarter inch dowel. So it would have a three quarter inch hole in the side. And you embed the block that has that that hole in it with the dowel into the bit in your router table and you clamp it there. So you're essentially inserting the dowel and exposing the bit and you just raise the bit slowly but surely to where you need it to be. And you're just rotating manually, rotating this dowel Mm -hmm. as you're pushing it in further and further. And it keeps everything nice and centered and concentric uh, and it's safe. You know, as long as you're not taking too much of a bite at once, it shouldn't be too much of a problem. But it's almost, I guess, almost like a pencil sharpener in a sense where you're just kind of rotating the thing manually. So that's the only method that I've ever seen for that, that that seems safe, easy, and, and, you know, pretty low caliber. Like it doesn't take a lot to, to pull that off. You guys have any other ideas? Same thing on the table saw. You can kind of do the same thing with like a miter gauge or crosscut sled. Mm-hmm. Same kind of concept. You just put it over the, the top dead center of that blade and park the, the sled or the miter gauge in place. Turn the saw and raise it up, spin it, raise it some more, you know, back and forth, clean it up just like you do a uh, square tenon. Right. Yeah, that should know. work pretty well. Shannon, what would you do in the hand tool world for something like this? Well, first thing I would do is take my microphone off mute so that I could figure out <laughs> why you guys were ignoring me. The, the show was actually quite pleasant for a few minutes. It was weird. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had a barking dog that I, I preemptively <laughs> muted. Um, I, I wonder, with Matt's technique, if you could actually <laughs> think you could get away using a data blade and actually make it a little bit quicker. Probably. Like if you had, say, a, you know, a three-inch long. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing, and you could take a little bite off. Um, the... Did he happen to say how long the dowel is? Did you say like 36 30 inches? inches? 30 inches? So that's something. what I thought. So, I mean, there are, they do make those hollow augers, but that's the type of thing where you've got to get onto the end of it. So if you needed to mount it in a drill press, obviously you may have some capacity issues. Mm-hmm. If you've got a floor-mounted drill press or even a, a benchtop drill press that you can turn the head around so that it faces 180 degrees away from the table and you could actually just you know use some sort of um, clamping system holds it that way, or you know they make hollow augers that you can fit into a brace. They actually also make a hollow um, auger tenon bit. I have one. I actually did a little uh, blog on it. I don't know a couple months ago that cuts a square shouldered tenon right onto the um, onto the end of your your dowel or your square, even your square block of wood. Yeah. And it's the same principle you're talking about, Mark, with the router bit where you've got a blade that's just, in this case, the blade is skewed, and you have um, 
uh, a drill bit that's essentially hollow in the center. The really fancy kind of steampunky looking ones have these dials on the bottom that, you know, like the old pencil sharpeners that you can change the diameter of the opening sure. for the for the for the fat like um, dumb kid pencils. <laughs> Dumb kid pencils. That's going to go over well. Isn't your wife a teacher? That's how I, that's how I remember it. When you I should was be little. ashamed. Yeah, I am ashamed. Um, the the big fat pencils to the really skinny pencils. You can change that little dial. It's the same type of thing on the bottom of the hollow auger bit. Is it changes that dial and that opening is what determines what gets cut. And you just work your way down. There's an integral depth stop that works all the way down, and it cuts a nice square shoulder right on the end of of what you're. Uh, what you're doing nice but i have to wonder though i mean again if you can if you can jig it up in a drill press if you just might be better off doing what he was initially suggesting drill a hole and use a loose tenon yeah you could you could i mean it's gonna be strong you know if you've got a good if you can jig it up so that it's perfectly straight up and down vertical you know and your drill press is good um, and what I would probably do if, you, if you're doing multiple of these, I'd probably create some sort of jig, like a cradle or something that would hold it and would be repeated. seems to me that would actually end up being pretty straightforward. Yeah, I get a little nervous, though. I mean, because what are you looking at? A 3 16th shoulder? If you're reducing from 3 quarters down to 3 eighths, you're drilling yeah. that hole and dropping. Yeah, I mean, that's a point. pretty, like, a thin wall. Yeah, it, it, I think your, your table cell method is probably... A little bit easier. Yeah, just so that it's integral and you don't have to worry about it. But either way, uh, some solutions for you there, uh, Mark. Hopefully that works out. Last one here. We're going to oversize show today. Uh, our good comeback show, I think. Uh, <laughs> this one here is from Jake. Uh, this is Jake. That's Illinois. Third time calling. Hopefully third time getting on the show. Love this guy. I do a lot of smaller projects, like smaller boxes and such. And uh, I know there's a rule... You do not wrap a solid panel with a miter frame. But from the mouths of Wood Talk co-hosts, I've heard you say that you can get away with breaking that rule on smaller pro- projects like boxes. So Creepy. I just want to know if there's mm-hmm. any sort of rules where, where you know, you need to stop doing that, you know? You, Jake is from the future. You have to stop wrapping a solid panel with a minor frame. So I uh, appreciate it. I like the show. That is all. <laughs> Y'all didn't know this, <laughs> but I'm from the future. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, kind of eerie uh, that, that, that it's right on topic. So Matt, oh, do, do you have any rule of thumb for when you can break those wood movement rules? I don't do any cross grain gluing more than four inches. That's kind of my, my own personal rule. That's the magic number. So for tenons or gluing boxes together with solid panels, four mm-hmm. inches is the most I'll try and stop with the glue. Yeah, I don't know why. Four inches is the number for me where the red flag goes up and I start thinking about other alternative things I might be able to do to, to accommodate potential movement. Well, the other thing at play here, especially when you're talking about boxes, is the thickness because generally you're dealing with thinner stock. Yep. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. so not only is, is the, the width and I agree with that number, although I don't think I've really thought about it enough. It's just kind of <laughs> like, yeah, that looks like it's all right. Yeah, that's, that's, that's where your of, gut kicks in and says, this yeah, might be exactly. A but the thinner it is, the less kind of oomph that it can exert. You know, it's the same reason that you, you know, with veneer, you know, veneer is not going to exert a lot of cross grain movement. Yeah. Um, you can just glue it down to the substrate and you don't have to worry about it. The worst that can happen maybe is your, your veneer might crack a little on you, but um, when you're dealing with boxes that are a half inch, three eighths inch thick, uh, there's just really not a lot of force that that wood is going to exert and you can, you know, glue it down, <laughs> Build, glue it into submission. Right. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, it's interesting. I don't think that we've talked about this before, but we're all sort of settling in on, on that roundabout ballpark four inch number. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. Uh, Matt, so you've got to take off. I do. Okay. Well, it was great having you on the show, or thanks for having me on your show. <laughs> I appreciate it. It was so great having you here today, Mark. Uh, take us home and okay. uh, enjoy the rest of your uh, your show here. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> I think I'll stay on. Uh, ha- have a great day, Matt, and whatever you have to do, I, I hope it's great. Take care yeah, of my just son. Stay off your Try wife, not to you? procreate for at least a week. Seriously. Well, you know. Give her a break. Yeah. Wait, wait 15 minutes before procreating again. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You guys are stuck <laughs> for a little while, so... <laughs> Cool, man. All right. We're going to continue on with the email. Have a wonderful day, sir. Have fun. Enjoy answering questions. We will.
<laughs> See you. Right. Speaking of answering questions, we are jumping into our emails here. Uh, first one is from uh, Richard. He says, I have a dining table that I plan to take apart so that I can use the top and the leaves to build a desk. I'm told it's 80 to 100 years old. The table is round with an OG profile, so I'm having trouble determining whether it's veneered or not, and that factor will weigh heavily on the design. Any suggestions that don't require cutting into the surface? Richard. Okay, well, a couple things come to mind with this. Shannon, you know, jump in if you think there's anything else you could do that's easier. If you have okay. this uh, OG design, chances are... You're wrong! Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, if you if you look at the first drop, right, and typically on an OG, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, Shannon, you know more about these than I do, um, that profile starts with a 90-degree drop, correct, before it goes into the roundover? Yes. Right? So you've got that little ledge there. And he didn't say anything about needing to keep the finish on there, so I would be very tempted to go to that drop and take a scraper, a card scraper, and scrape into that corner. And what I'm looking for is a veneer layer, right? If you go into that first little corner, if there's a layer of veneer, you should be able to see that, okay? So that, that's actually, should have mentioned that one second, because that's a little bit more in-depth and you actually have to, to remove some finish to be able to see that. And you're looking just for a color, consistency, or grain change. And it'll be subtle, but it should still be there. The easier thing to do, and maybe you've already done this, it's kind of common sense, but you want to look at the underside of this table. A lot of times with these veneered tables, doesn't matter how old they are, but generally manufactured pieces, they're not going to use the same species on the underside that they used on the top, right? Mm -hmm. So if you, I don't know exactly, what did he say it was made out of? All right, I don't think he said. So whatever it looks like on the top, look, get a flashlight, get on your hands and knees and look under there. What's it look like on the bottom? And if even if the grain looks similar, is the grain running exactly the same way? Does it look like the grain you see on the bottom could have a fighting chance of looking that way on the top? Like, does it look like it could be two sides of the same board? And if you don't have all those clues there, yeah, it's probably veneered. So for me, typically those two methods, um, looking at the underside and then examining the OG itself by removing some finish, should probably give you a pretty good indication of whether that is a veneer or a solid stock. I think a lot of times too, they, the veneer, cause we're talking about a round table here. So a lot of times they would do something decorative with yeah. veneer mm-hmm. and you can usually see if it's like a four way book match or something, you know, a pie match. I don't know what they call that <laughs> pie slices. You yeah. Know, it goes right. around. Mm-hmm. Generally it was done there. And if you're talking 80 to hundred years old, you're getting into a Victorian furniture, in which case they did use a lot of veneer. So it's highly possible. I'm totally guessing if it, I mean, if it is in fact 80 to hundred years old, could be a lot of different styles, but there was a lot of kind of restoration, not restoration. Um, that's the word I'm looking for revival, uh-huh. um, type mm-hmm. stuff going on at the time. And they did use a lot of, a lot of veneer then, but it generally was done in like a decorative pattern, like that four way book match. Sure. Right. So if it actually looks like, Hey, this is, this looks like the grain direction that the wood's going. And for that matter, the grain direction in the OG itself and the, in the uh, routed profile, then it might very well be solid wood. And again, look at the underside. And if that has an applied molding, which in a round table, it's doubtful. Yeah. Cause that's hard. <laughs> well, and you also have to get the, the veneer both on the top and bottom would have to, like, if it's not veneer, look at the end grain of, or at least the best you could determine to be the end grain of the OG profile. And that yeah. should be consistent where you start to see the end grain should be consistent with the direction of the grain on the top surface and the bottom surface. Um, right. If that's even slightly off and they're going at a, a bit of a different angle, that should be a clue as well that you are potentially looking at a veneered surface. Yeah. But you know, worst comes to worst. That's what the underside of the table's for, right? Yep. <laughs> you know, that you can cut into the surface there and it's not nearly as uh as noticeable. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Cool. All right. This next one comes from Scott. He says, I know you recommend a cambered iron in your joiner plane. What radius do you keep yours at? And do you keep an extra straight iron on uh for your jointer? Well, it is highly possible that somewhere in the vast history of this show that I have recommended a cambered iron in a joiner plane, but I don't remember ever recommending that. <laughs> I use a straight iron in my joiner plane. Maybe it was Matt. <laughs> it could be. I mean, there are a lot of people that do recommend a cambered iron in the joiner plane, and usually it's a very slight camber, like maybe ever so slightly more than you would have on a smoothing plane. Sure. But I do not use my joiner plane as a finishing plane. I use it to flatten surfaces. Mm-hmm. So if I get plane tracks, I don't care because I'm going to come back with my smoothing plane and clean up those plane tracks. Um, 
I like to keep a straight iron in my joiner plane because when I am like gluing up panels, I want a straight edge. I don't want any camber. I don't want any belly in that, in that, um, that glue surface, that straight edge that I'm creating. And if, when you have a cambered iron, if you shift the blade laterally left or right, you're going to change the location of the belly in that cut. Um, so you can have issues where you're trying to glue up a panel. And to me, it's just not worth the extra, you know, avoidance of plane tracks. Um, plus I think smoothing with a joiner plane, smoothing with any plane that's that long is way too much work. <laughs> um, you know, a long sole like that is going to give you a flatter surface, certainly over the, you know, with a higher tolerance over the length of that plane, which makes it even harder to get into the nooks and crannies to smooth things out. Right. So, um, make life I mean, easy on yourself and don't even bother to camber that iron. If you really want, you can just knock the corners off and we're talking more of a chamfer on the corners than a camber. It's going to be so much easier to sharpen in the long run and it might lessen your plane tracks a little bit. Um, but ultimately you're going to come back over it with something, whether it be sanding, smooth plane, scraper, or something like that. And you can clean up the plane tracks then. Right. Cool. Sounds so good. You know, make, well, make it easy on you. Wonderful advice. I, I can take hey, it. I try. All right. Well, if you want to support the show, you can just head to woodtalkshow.com and we have some recurring or one-time donations that you could uh, sign up for there. Uh, links are in the right-hand column. And you can also pick up a Wood Talk t-shirt at twwstore.com. And if you want to, no cost to you whatsoever. Just go in the iTunes, assuming you have that installed. Uh, look us up in the store and click on ratings and reviews. Give us a five-star rating. We always appreciate it. Makes it easier to find us in the store. Um, it, there is quite a few people. I've got uh, Bansall Dovetailer, J Hanko nine nine nine, Chad Magiera. Uh, this one I had to read because I don't know if it's a typo, but it's hilarious. By Android Meyer, <laughs> he says, "Love it, love the podcast so much. Been listening since." Now he's talking about Cremona, but he spelled it Fromona, <laughs> and I don't nice. know if that's a joke about Matt's hair. Uh, Could it yes, be? Yes, it is. Do you it, think it's going to be? Because it now is on. now. Because that is fantastic. Fromona. Fromona. And it's nice. gr- what's great is he's not even here to defend himself. I love it. That's even better. We planned that, right? Yes. Yes. I always thought he looked like, uh, you know, the lost member of Flight of the Concords <laughs> with that hair yes. and beard. So this, if we just call him Fromona. That, that'll be a stage name. Perfect. Very good. So yeah, thank you for that. That's perfect. Uh, and if you want to go there, do that and leave a, a five-star rating. We might be able to read your, the funnier it is, the more likely it is that we will read it on the show. Uh, but we appreciate the support that way. Uh, Shannon, why don't you give them the contact info and we can get out of here. Okay. Well, if you have comments, questions, or slurs about our hair, you can do it several different ways. Give them to us several different ways. You can leave a voicemail on Skype. Our username is woodtalkonline. You can call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180 or use our contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact. And you also can leave comments on the episode at woodtalkshow.com. Every episode has a comments field and many people leave comments there. They do. And it's great. And we like it. Yes. And then finally, if you're bored of looking at woodtalkshow.com, uh, I almost forgot the URL there, <laughs> you can go to uh, thewoodwhisper.com, renaissancewoodworker.com, or mattcremona.com and leave comments about our hair there or the size of our foreheads or how many gray hairs we have. Isn't These are great? all things we've had comments on. This We're is what you this is what you deal with when, when you produce content online for a long time. Like people go and look at a video from 2007, then they go look at a video from 2016. They go, "Oh my God, you've gotten gray." <laughs> it's been 10 years and two kids. <laughs> it happens. I mean, this stuff happens. I, I guess you know you might be lucky, and maybe you don't bald uh, and you don't go gray, but I do, like most people. Yeah, it's good stuff. Good times. Well, hey, thanks for listening, everybody, and I guess we will catch you next time. See you, bye.